You're listening to Music Tectonics. What's up, podcast land? It's me, Crazy Pants, a.k.a. The Seismic Shifter, a.k.a. Dimitri Vitsa, the founder and CEO of Rock, Paper, Scissors, the music tech PR firm. Just like the robot says, you're listening to Music Tectonics, where we go beneath the surface of music and tech. And those of you who listen to us regularly know that we also have a conference called the Music Tectonics Conference, which is taking place online October 25th through 27th and in person in LA on November 2nd. We're doing a mini series of the stars of the 2021 Music Tectonics Conference. These are music tech stars in their own right, but they're also star sponsors of this year's edition of the conference. So one of the things that happens at the Music Tectonics Conference is people meet for the first time. They end up working together. It could be co-founders finding each other, startups meeting investors, labels partnering with new music tech companies, all sorts of stuff. And there's one software agency that has been showing up every year to Music Tectonics simply to help startups think through what it's like to get started, thinking through their technical issues, but sometimes their business issues, all sorts of stuff. They're called Art and Logic, and we thought it would be fun to bring them on the podcast with a startup they've worked with. You, our lovely podcast listeners, will get introduced to both companies, plus get a snapshot into the thought behind the type of partnership they have. So let's jump in with Art and Logic's VP of Engineering, Andrew Sherbrooke, and musician and producer, Jeff Bova, who's the founder of Ella. Welcome to the show, Andrew and Jeff. Thanks, Dimitri. Great to be here. Here too. Awesome. Andrew, let's just kick it off with you. How do you describe Art & Logic to someone you've just met? I guess I'd start by saying we're a full-service custom software development company, and we've been doing it since 1991. Um, We're generalists. We are autodidacts. We love learning stuff. And our clients really range from like independent inventors who maybe have an iPhone app that we're helping them with to um, full enterprise web applications for actually like fortune 10 companies of whom I think we have a couple in our client roster. Um, And that's my, you know, internal use business to business kinds of things. Um, We, we say we do the impossible. So we really like challenges and we also have certain personal passions and things that we really enjoy and music tech, I would say is one of those things. A bunch of you guys play music, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> personally, guitar player for much of my life. Um, we have touring musicians. We have a hip-hop artist uh, who's currently in Europe, and she travels and tours when she's not heading our design group. But some really great musicians there. Awesome. Tons of fun. So um, I guess that's like from a personal level, there's the music connection. But what's your connection to music tech as a company? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, I, I mean, it's it's a huge part of our history. I think one of the first projects we did uh, was in that industry, and we actually got paid for a, with a drum set, as I recall. <laughs> we have since <laughs> moved great. on to preferring money, although I'm embarrassed to admit we still have some drummers in our ranks. <laughs> We're um, still really active there, though. We we attend the the NAM music trade show, the North, uh, was National Association of Music Merchants, I guess. Merchandising? Merchandisers? Something like yeah, that. Something yeah. like that. <laughs> um, yeah. Everyone knows okay. NAM. It's the musical instrument show, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, MIDI Manufacturers Association. Um, and in music tech, we work like all up and down the stack. So I think, Jeff, with you, we're doing some sort of lower level, maybe embedded stuff even. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what attracted me to the company because uh, we worked with a, initially we worked with an engineering firm that had their own developers in-house 
And uh, it was very difficult to relate because we were working with, with both visual and sound. And it was, it's basically an art and science project, really. So when I met you guys, it was like with, with fellow musicians, people who understand performance, how to connect to the computers right. that we're using, how to interface with that. It was a natural connection. Oh. That, that, that was the convincer for That's me. That's awesome to hear. Yeah. We've done a lot of stuff in Pro Audio and MI um, for everyone from Roland and Yamaha to Mackie and lots of different companies. And it's everything from, as I said, sort of the low-level stuff to plugins and drivers and uh, a lot of lovely design work, too. Yeah, cool. So, Jeff, you've already jumped in here. You're a musician, a composer, a producer. You grew up playing jazz and R&B in the 80s. You landed with Herbie Hancock, touring with him and writing and programming recordings with him. Then in the 90s, uh, I guess you were involved with uh, producing Celine Dion's Grammy Award-winning album, Falling Into You. That was like a big, I think, a big moment for you, right? a big one. A real big one. (laughs) Awesome. <laughs> and so the company that you and Andrew have already started talking about that your your, your startup is called Ella. Can you tell us uh, what that is? Yeah. Well, Ella is is the actual device, and uh, it stands for electronic light array. Uh-huh. And what that is is uh, using entrainment, which is between music and light. Uh, and entrainment is is synchronizing with an external source. If we're listening to music, we begin moving and in rhythm and in time with that. And when you hear the clicking of a clock, you start to lock into the rhythm of that. Something we naturally do as humans. So we're using those to uh, to help people entrain to, uh, say, what we'll call it like a preferred rhythm, so to speak. Uh, so it's, it's really an interesting thing. You know, over the years, I didn't even know what I was doing was actually entrainment. But uh, as we so, so delved why, into so it. You're, so you're, Jeff, you're saying that by getting people to lock into the rhythm using light, you they are becoming entrained to the rhythm. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. And we use okay. light and sound together. So they, uh, uh, if somebody's very visually oriented or orally oriented, we have a way in initially to, to meet them and get them into the rhythm. So why do yeah. you want to entrain people with sound and light? What are, what are you trying to do with this product? What, what, we're, what we're doing is we want to shift people from a particular state they're in and shift them to what we call a preferred state. So if you've just left LA traffic, got into your house, you want to chill out, you would, you, if you were given a you know, slower tempo, slower beat, rhythms that would bring you down into a, a more uh, a calm state, that would be one of, one of our achievements there. Uh, the other way would be to go the opposite way. If you're an athlete and you want to pump yourself up before competition, you got to go give a public speech and we have one individual who uh, who tried it before doing a speech, and they spoke through flawlessly because they had entrained before they got going and got into the zone. Got you. So you mm-hmm. this is a, this is a, almost like a therapeutic practice. It's almost like mindfulness. It's it's you could do it like instead of meditation or or a type of meditation in a way where you're using this device with sound and light to get yourself into a state either to to pull your energy level down to be calm or to bring it up to be prepared to do some sort of performance or something. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Got it. So what led you to transforming your work in music into this sort of, I, I would call it a therapeutic practice or, or whatever this other thing is that you're doing now. What, how'd you get there, Jeff? Well, uh, the, one, of the, one of the partners in the company is a visual artist, and he had studied at MIT about how light and color affects the brain. 
And over the years, we've done a number of different projects together, really art projects, art and music projects with perform live performance. And he was asked by the Santa Fe Institute to do some kind of a presentation at one of their uh, events called the Interplanetary Festival, where they do artwork. That sounds reality. like my kind of thing. <laughs> oh, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, we put together an exhibit for it. And it was the it was initially a group experience with sound and light. And a group of individuals would step into basically a room and uh, they would they would have a four minute experience of light and sound that would synchronize their their rhythms. And they were all having shared vision and they were all moving into a very interesting state. They were all seeing some of the same same imagery as well. And uh, we ended up having people lined up around the block to have see the event after we did our our debut of it. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, so we get a little bit of a picture of where you're going with this product. At what point did you bring Art and Logic into the mix of developing this? How, how far along were you, and, and, and where, where was it that you wanted help? Yeah, well, we had a prototype. We had an engineering company build us uh, an initial pr- prototype piece that was doing the function that we required. We had a very rudimentary controller for the device. And we hit, and that's where we got stuck. We couldn't get past that particular point. So, uh, looking for a developer, uh, I went to the Audio Designer Conference in London, and uh, our logic, as I've I've come to learn, participate in a lot of these events. I met uh, met one of one of the uh, representatives of the company, and knowing the history of the company from the, the music connection, I said these guys have to be the ones. And there's really the the music connection. Uh, having an understanding of what we're doing because working with engineers who weren't musicians or didn't have a connection with the arts, we just couldn't relate or communicate and have the uh, really had the tools to be able to like implement what we wanted to with common language. Yeah. Interesting. Andrew, when should music tech founders uh, like Jeff be talking to a company like yours? I mean, is it, is it when they hit a roadblock or is it sooner? Is it later? What, what have you found? Yeah, uh, it runs the gamut. Certainly. I mean, I think, What's necessary is having some vision and ideally a funding plan because just want to, you know, we, we're not a product-based company. We don't generally do sort of speculative partnerships, but we do really like the process of iteratively developing something with a client. So in some cases, having a fully fleshed out, this is exactly what I need isn't always to your advantage because there may be challenges that you're not aware of in the engineering world. And if we work through those together, it can sometimes yield better results, more efficient paths forward. Um, We've functioned as virtual CTOs so we can come in early on in the process. Or as I think you're describing, Jeff, you know, you get to a point where you know what the next hurdle is and you need additional bandwidth or perspective to get past that that's not uncommon for us too andrew i've been in enough conversations with you and your team bob and paul and carlos other folks on the Mm -hmm. team to know that even though you guys are a software agency there is a mindset around the business as well which is super interesting like people thinking through like you said the funding side of it or 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 the viability as a business which is interesting because having worked with so many different companies you can sort of see what the pathway is to to monetize a, a a software or hardware music related product yeah i mean sometimes i think that like like jeff is is saying particularly in pro audio and the mi space we 
if we have enough context, if we've used the products ourselves, if we've followed along in that world long enough, we get a sense of what people are looking for, what's been tried in the past and hasn't worked. And I mean, ideally, we're trying to find something that's going to help our clients get to market efficiently and start seeing some sort of return on their their time and their their investment. Uh, yeah, I guess as quickly as possible. Yeah, yeah, no, no, it's 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 interesting. Like you get to get get a little broader with the context. To actually, make sure that the other pieces are in place to make the technical stuff work. Jeff, what was it like going from an idea to bringing in a technical team? Sounds like you've worked with multiple agencies at this point. Um, but what's it what's it like uh, going from from your original idea to bring in a technical team to help bring it to reality? Well, again, the first part was finding the right people that could understand what we were going after in a way that was really conducive to uh, our, our way of communicating with the world. You know, as, as, as musicians and artists, we have, we have tools, we have hands-on tools. Now we're going to the virtual world and how we bring the analog of that into the digital world. And, uh, and we, were, we were learning to, and we've been learning still, to ha- how to control things in a way that we still are, we're doing a lot of research on. So there's a lot of things we don't know. So we're just, we're trying to figure out a lot of it at the same time. And the guy's been really helpful in that as well. You know, this is fun because it's like a little taster sample. You guys are going to be doing a panel at the Music Tectonics Conference um, with a couple other folks. It's called What It Takes to Get Your Music Tech Startup Idea Off the Ground. So we're getting a nice little taste test um, of, of what that's going to be like. So folks who are listening can come to the conference and see the, the full panel. But while I've got you on the po- podcast, I'm curious, what music or tech trends are each of you keeping an eye on and why? Whether it's stuff directly that you're directly involved with or or um, or or just things that like intrigue you and excite you. Andrew, do you have anything in mind? Yeah. Um, I think one of the things we're hearing a lot about from people who are coming to us and also seeing in the industry is a greater emphasis on machine learning and artificial intelligence. And everybody kind of wants some connection to that, even if they don't really have a business case for it. <laughs> but there's stuff out there that's kind of interesting. Like uh, the company Isotope has uh, their automated mix assistant within their product Neutron. Um, I think you guys at Music Tectonics a year or two ago featured a songwriting sort of notepad tool, right? That's a kind of like an iPad for songwriters that had, in, I believe, some of those technologies in it as well. And then we actually worked on a system that lets you train a model to then sort all of your audio samples and uh, it automatically classify all the different music production tools that you have. Um, I'm thinking what we're going to see is a lot of reality checks where people start to realize that it's not the sort of magic bullet that they might envision, but it's still interesting stuff and it's fun to work with. Um, Then also, you know, MIDI too, I would say where I'm excited to see where that goes and what's going to be built with that because it offers a lot of really cool technology sort of um, quantum leaps, I think, uh-huh. bidirectional communication and device discovery, um, higher precision controllers and timing. And it's, it's we an see some cool evolution. new musical instruments as a result of that. Absolutely. I'm glad you brought that up because at Music Tectonics this year, we're seeing more and more people from the music creation space joining in. Like we kind of started kind of sort of from the recorded side, adding a little bit of the live side, obviously more live streaming participants last year as a result of the, the pandemic and the growth there. But this year we're seeing this huge surge of people interested in, in the music making side of the technology, which always existed. We That's just cool. hadn't brought it into Tectonics. Jeff, what about you? Are there any kind of trends that you're keeping an eye on that you're excited about? Really similar to Andrew. One, you know, is AI is a big piece. 
and using it to support uh, as a tool for, for, for what we're doing as, as composers and, uh, and also with audio. So it's very much aligned there. And also MIDI 2, I was playing with Herbie Hancock when MIDI 1 which just came out performing live and trying to work our way around the, the, uh, the basics of the, of the technology at the time because it was so raw and rough and ready. We, uh, we, we had to develop. So from the beginning of my time playing with them and as it, as it expanded, watching the tech expand and, and help support our needs as musicians. So, uh, so I'm again excited for, for MIDI 2 as well. Awesome. Where so we're going to wrap up here in just a minute. Where where can people find out more about Ella? It sounds like maybe it's still in development, but can people sort of keep track of you and stay in touch? Um, right now, we're we're totally we're totally undercover at the moment. We're still uh, we're still in development. Yeah, yeah. So I'm not able to find you on LinkedIn, Jeff. You can find me on LinkedIn. Absolutely, Jeff Bova, yes. B O V A. All right, cool. And what about Art and Logic? How do people get in touch with you, uh, Andrew? Uh, the art and logic.com website. It's a great way. Um, come to music tectonics. Yes. <laughs> you guys have been great supporting, uh, again this year, Andrew, what are you hoping to get out of the conference this year? You know, the reason that I'm coming back, I think in large part is because you guys do such a great job making, um, sort of organic, natural interactions between people and really sponsoring these low stress, delightful networking experiences. And I mean, we used to go to trade shows and we'd have a list of, you know, okay, what sales can we close and stuff. But at this point, it seems like what I really enjoy is just meeting people and maybe there's some sort of synergy way down the line. Maybe there isn't, but it's, it's, rewarding i guess to do it that way that makes me really happy andrew because we work hard to make sure the experience is great we're going to have our speed networking where people have a chat roulette like experience where every five minutes they just pop on the video screen with somebody else it's that's what i was thinking of in yeah, particular it's, yeah, it's more it's efficient cool than thing. going to a conference and trying to find out is this person anything is this a decision maker is this whatever <laughs> you just put somebody in front of people we've got the right group of people together and it's just fun it, it just takes away all that stress you're both committed to you know i'm going to I want to meet someone for five minutes and I'm here and I'm not going to be, you know, wishing I was getting to the next booth or something. Right. And that was really different. It's And it's because of the technology. It's so, so crazy. All right. Listen, Jeff, Andrew, this has been an absolute blast. A quick, a quick little snapshot in. You're both going to be on this panel at the conference so people could come and meet you there as well. And, uh, really happy to have this little taster where people are going to have to come to the panel to hear the rest. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I look forward to Thank seeing you. you both at the conference. Thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you so Thanks, much. Dimitri. Thank you. Want to help spread the word about music tectonics and win prizes at the Music Tectonics Conference? We don't just talk about innovations in music. We want you to experience them. So we are gamifying our launch of our pre-conference and you can earn free admission. That's right. Go to musictectonics.com slash conference and log in with a social account. Then the more you share the conference with your friends, the more points you earn. The top 100 point earners will get free admission to the conference. Plus, the top three sharers will be offered a free badge to our main conference too. Again, go to musictectonics.com slash conference and look for our badge contest. Not sure you want to go to our pre-conference? What? And miss hanging out with Mark Mulligan of Media Research in the Metaverse? That's right. Mark Mulligan will be our pre-conference keynote. Plus, you'll get to witness 10 amazing early-stage music tech startups pitching in the semifinal of Swimming with Narwhals, the annual music tech startup pitch competition presented by BandLab. 
Get your free ticket to the October 18th pre-conference by being a top 100 sharer and enter to win a badge to our full conference October 25th through 27th. Just go to musictectonics.com slash conference and look for our badge contest right now. Welcome back. And in this segment, as we mentioned, we are jumping in with MRC data. Super excited to dive into some data to talk about what's going on in the music innovation space. I have with me today two guests, Paulina Pachellan, Senior Account Manager, and Brandon Jarrett, Research Manager with MRC data. It's great to have you guys. How are you doing today? Good. Good, good, good. Yeah, we're really excited. Awesome. Glad you guys are coming into the mix with Music Tectonics this year. And this is a super great opportunity to preview some of the types of things we'll be able to talk about with you at the conference. But let's kick it off just in case anybody doesn't know. What is MRC Data? All right. So MRC Data, we were formerly known as Nielsen Music. Um, and we're the most comprehensive global provider of data, analytics, consumer insight when it comes to music, as well as the broader entertainment industry. We're compiling like sales streams, spins data, and we are the engine behind the billboard charts, right? Um, we're also surveying the larger music ecosystem. Uh, so we're really just providing data-driven insights across the board to help all the major music industry players in the, in the ecosystem. Makes tons of sense. So you guys have kind of like a bird's eye view on a lot of things that are happening and, and, and uh, can kind of uh, step out 10,000 feet and, and see some of the things that others can't see just by turning on Spotify or looking at their own individual sales data. How, how do most people in the music industry engage with MRC? Yeah, so we have um, different ways that we engage with our clients. We work with labels, we work with publishers, distributors, radio station, um, radio stations, talent agencies, live music events, and we provide consumption data. And then with some of our clients, we do consumer insight research. So survey-based projects that really get at the why and the kind of audiences that our clients care about. And we've looked into music. We have studies globally. We have done a podcasting study. We have a COVID tracker. So we touch almost everything there is in the entertainment space. Exactly. And then in order to disseminate that further, not just the buy-in, we also do some thought leadership uh, exercises. So we have our newsletters, webinars, we have uh, the, our, our, our fresh take on data, right? Whenever we get new data in from, say, our, music, our Music 360 report, um, we'll do a takeaway Tuesday where you get a little snippet, a little take on uh, new data that's come in and our perspective on it. Oh, makes sense. I got a, a quick follow-up. So, so uh, Paulina, you were talking about those different t ways people engage with MRC. Are they looking at like a dashboard or is it purely like customized research? Okay. So we have a number of options. Um, we recently rolled out a new dashboard where people can just get the data on the fly. They can slice and dice and they can really answer their business questions in the moment. For US Music okay. 360 and we're uh, broadening that out to include um, pretty much any of the studies that our clients sign in s sign up for. Cool. All right. So you've both mentioned U.S. Music 360. I know you just released that report. What's the significance of the report? How often does this thing come out? Who's surveyed? Tell us about that. Yeah. Um, so even just kind of like start off, right? It's like we're what what needs to be understood is that we've been doing this research for the past. 11 or so years, right? Prior when we were in Nielsen Music and now MRC Data, right? So this is really our flagship uh, report. It's our flagship data set that gives a very broad, but also detailed look at what's happening across the landscape. 
Um, so looking at that, the U.S. Music 360 report, the U.S. form, it's representative of the population, gen pop, census balance. We're looking at about 4,000 plus respondents that then get extrapolated to understand the larger um, population. Uh, and we're sending this out or we're, we're developing this every year. Uh, it's an annual report. However, we do a mid-year report as well. So we can whet the appetite and make sure people are understanding what's happening mid-year. And on top of that, really the power comes in, um, the fact that we've done it for so many years is we are able to trend certain um, certain concepts, certain insights. But at the same time, every year we take feedback, we follow music, and we are able to integrate new new topics and new areas that are especially relevant for um, for um, different groups or for different time periods and things like that. Exactly. And we love to like get more feedback from the larger industry. So, you know, when clients buy into the report, um, they're not, it's not just this one-off relationship. Many times uh, for the next iteration, we take their input into, into serious account and we, we implement it. Got it. So, and, and I understand one of the things that you've explored in this research is the changing music landscape as a result of the pandemic, which, I mean, on the one hand, it's like it's on everybody's mind and it's like everybody wants to get it off their mind, but it's so significant in how everything's changing in society and certainly in music. What were the top three or four things that emerged about music during the pandemic so far? Yep. And that's a great question. Um, we get that question all the time and we've we have a number of ongoing studies where we were able to measure changes and attitudes and behaviors throughout the pandemic and now are able to um, assess those changes to make predictions and what we think we'll see in the future. Um, so one of those that came out is just the fact that um, over the last year, of course, entertainment went indoors. People were spending more time on their screens. Entertainment and music became more visual. It wasn't just about um, listening to music. Um, while people are commuting, for example, but it really became more immersive and more visual based. In fact, we saw an increase of music listenership. So um, while it might not seem significant, we saw year over year an increase of among the general population, 3% increase in music listeners. That's a millions of people in the US mm -hmm. who've started engaging with music in different ways. Um, and as I mentioned, going indoors, that was driven by screens, right? So people were streaming. We found that 62% of music listeners were streaming video, um, which came out as the number one format. So again, really highlights that aspect that people are wanting visual entertainment, not just listening or sitting back and passively consuming their music any longer. Mm -hmm. And not to, and it's no, it's no surprise, right? Like YouTube, is the number one streaming platform. However, what is really interesting is that TikTok saw the number one, uh, is, is number one in growth uh, of, a, mm. of a streaming platform or of a platform. So that is, of course, we've, we've read the articles, we're seeing the competition uh, that TikTok is bringing into the market. So uh, that's also something that we're viewing. Yes, and kind of going hand in hand with that is that TikTok is bringing new artists to the forefront. And actually, one of the really big findings and insights that we found that, that we think is going to drive music in the next year or even longer is that there is this appetite for new. We found that people um, want to hear new music, and with the delay in new releases, it doesn't actually have to be new. We found a kind of reinvention and recycling of music from decades ago. We found that 40% of listeners are saying that they are listening to completely new artists. So there's really this opportunity to, um, 
for consumers to go to new music that's actually not really new released, which is very unique and really, again, driven by the fact that all of these changes happened over the last year. Yeah. And if I can even add to that, what is also has been what has been very uh, interesting are the is the increase in vinyl sales. Right. Mm. So we're seeing uh, from the mid-year report. Right. We saw uh, sales grow in vinyls for 108 percent. Uh, compared to last year, right? And you would think that that is vinyl sales driven by catalog, right? Um, You know, Prince albums, Michael Jackson albums are selling. It's actually not the case, right? We're actually seeing a lot of new artists, new releases, sending out vinyl records. And of course, there is a demand on pressing vinyl, but it's actually the consumption of those, of, of vinyl from new releases that is driving this uptick in vinyl sales. So interesting. We so we, so we've got uh, just an increase in overall listening by three 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 percent. We've got an increase of people paying attention and and watching music on screens, listening to music that has a visual component as well. Um, we've got more people listening to new artists, so new artists having new opportunities. People have some, something has shifted so that people are looking for more artists, or maybe more artists are available. And then we have the fact that not only is vinyl continuing to grow at ridiculous ridiculous uh, paces, but that those that vinyl is also reflected in the new artist side of things. That that that's being driven by not just catalog titles. Anything else? Or did, did did I catch all the big ones? You caught all the big ones. I just want to add one. One more insight to that, which is um, surprising to some, is these vinyl sales are actually driven. Guess by what generation? Anybody want to guess? Well, if it's new artists, (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, it's not boomers. It's Gen Z. No, no, it's Gen Z. It's Gen Z, but you have these young consumers, right? And they are uh, purchasing and they're engaging with vinyl and new artists. So it's this interesting trend. We've seen double digit, um, actually the sales of uh, vinyl doubled compared to last year. Um, And again, it's very unique. And we believe that this will continue um, this year and, and next as well. What this this thing about new artists emerging, uh, more listening to new artists? Did you find any, or have you guys planned to do any research on what's what what's leading to that? Um, so we have some insight that leads, um, y- you know, that leads to a conclusion. We haven't done an actual study on that, but we believe um, a number of things. So again, mm-hmm. with this delay in new releases, people wanted something new. And during the pandemic, we know that people gravitated to entertainment for entertainment, to do something fun and for coping. So there was this idea people were um, going to music, but also video games and video streaming to just, they, they want to try something new. And so we think it's just this idea um, that people just wanted to, whether it's past the time or find new artists. Change so things up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then also on TikTok, right? It, it, with the popularity of TikTok, there are these new emerging artists that are um, doing these challenges and gaining popularity. So it's really fun. It's kind of more... Um, I don't know. You feel like you could be an, you know, a famous artist one day. Right. Yeah. And then even to add to that, right, the innovation that we're seeing in both music and gaming and technology and, and that merging of the three, uh, you're getting concerts like the Ariana Grande concert, which is bringing in a whole new uh, fan base and uh, a number of, of fans. Right. But uh, that's all also being generated by this uh, inability to uh, go to live events and actually go see artists in person. So you have to find a way 
to connect with the artists. And a lot of that is happening through these innovations in gaming and music. I mean, that brings up a great point. Uh, you know, how people are finding and listening to music these days. Does that vary by generation? Did you find anything else about, about that specifically? Sure. So in general, we still find that radio is highly relevant for discovery. Um, we did see some declines, of course, with less people on the road, um, but mostly video streaming services, audio streaming services, and these social platforms are really driving discovery. And this, again, is mostly among the um, younger generations, we found that the older consumers, older listeners are still more reliant on radio, CDs, television, and kind of more of those traditional formats. Um, mm -hmm. But again, going to what Brandon said, that this whole idea of music becoming more immersive, we know that, for example, Gen Z are um, almost twice as likely to discover new music on video games. So there's really a lot of inter interaction between the different entertainment um, types, so to speak, where it's really becoming more immersive. Yep. Of those we surveyed, Gen Z listeners are 85% more likely to discover new music slash artists through video games than the average music listener. That is incredible. Yeah, it's like it seems like we've reached a, a new cultural moment. Um, I, re I remember this moment where everyone was talking about what music they found through TV, you know, and, and film and so forth. And now it feels like that's what's happening with gaming. Um, so it's super interesting to hear what, what's happening with live music and live streaming. I mean, I mean, uh, what what did you guys discover there? That's a whole other a whole other channel that's kind of exploded during the pandemic. And I'm curious what the data shows. So in terms of live streaming, especially throughout the pandemic, we found this um, excitement. People were, um, uh, we saw a growth in the number of people who were live streaming music. We saw an interest in um, watching future live streams and this growth again, and people willing to pay for these type of events, um, especially with the delays and the cancellation of all the live music, um, live music events and festivals and so forth. Just as Brandon said, people want to feel like they're connecting to artists. People loved live streams because it let them feel, let them, um, feel like they were connecting on a more personal level with these artists. They saw the homes, they were able to ask questions and things like that. And so it really provided um, a way for new new people who've never live streamed before to really try it out. So we do see that stabilizing um, with some of these events being rescheduled. And some of the biggest fans are um, live music event goers. They're some of the biggest um, music fans. And we know that some of them have um, every intent on going back to live events. But we do believe that there's this group, this smaller niche of people who are going to continue um, live streaming music for a number of different reasons. Exactly, and even one of those groups, right, are households with kids. 42% um, of households with kids are saying it's an important offering to have, uh, especially with the limitation of in-person live events. Uh, and of those households with kids who did live stream an event, 84% were satisfied with that experience, right? So again, it's, it's something that, yes, is stabilizing as the world opens back up a bit, we'll see, right? Uh, but to, to see the success of live streaming in key segments is incredible. Wow, this is great. I, f I really do feel like I'm getting this crazy fast deep dive into the context of all these things that have shifted. So much has shifted in the last year and a half. And it's it's just interesting to be able to ask you guys who are like looking at these numbers, like, what does it all mean? Where is this coming from? Where is it going? And so forth. Are there any other technologies that are impacting people's engagement in music that we should be talking about as we get close to the end of this segment? 
So Brandon mentioned um, uh, Brandon mentioned gaming, which is a really big one, and all of the different platforms. So the streaming platforms, the video streaming platforms such as TikTok. One of the other interesting uh, findings from our study was that there's been this increase um, increase in growth and acceptance of various high technologies for music listening. So not a surprise, but still interesting that we saw a significant growth in music listeners turning to smart TVs and smart speakers for their music listening. So again, there was this acceleration in uh, people trying out these technologies that tend to be uh, home-based, which we probably wouldn't have seen to that extent uh, prior to the pandemic. Mm-hmm. I haven't asked enough about TikTok. We, TikTok, we just got to get this in, in here. What, what's the biggest impact of TikTok on music listening? Everyone else in the industry is talking about, we got to make sure to see what the data says here. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it's we're seeing that double-digit growth in monthly usage in the U.S. Uh, and globally uh, growth and global growth as well, right? So, really, like the discoverability, the accessibility, being able to create and interact within the platform, it's all driving greater music consumption, right? Um, so yeah, that that's really what we're seeing. <laughs> and it's, also, it's straight up engagement. Yeah, but also remember, everybody, all of us, maybe we have an opportunity to make it big on TikTok. So it's also driving the consumption. But I think also that passion and excitement, and again, that connection with artists that allows um, unknown artists to really grow in their popularity, especially because it's the younger consumers who are actually on these sites. And we know Gen Z, they're um, they're enthusiasts, right? So they share it with friends. They um, they make these, um, they create videos of their own. So there's just a lot of interaction that happens, again, with music that probably wouldn't have happened as much uh, prior to the pandemic. Make, makes total sense. Yeah. So so th- this has been great. So fun to, to, to hear about all this information from that top level view. And we've dug into so many different sectors in just a handful of minutes. You guys are coming to the Music Tectonics Conference in October. I'm curious, what other researcher reports are coming out between now and the end of the year that people might find out about when they, they uh, connect with you and interact with you at Music Tectonics? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, we do have our artists and genre tracker that will be released in U.S. and maybe Canada. We'll see. Um, But that one's coming up uh, and that's really looking at a deep that is a deeper dive into genres. So we're not just looking at Latin and rock, but we're looking at, um, you know, we're looking at uh, 80s rock. We're looking at boy rock. We're looking at boyfriend rock, right? Um, so that is going to be interesting. We're going to, we're going to really get uh, deeper there. Um, we also have our global music 360s uh, that are coming out in various markets. Um, again, with an easy to use online dashboard, that's brand new this year. Uh, so we're really excited about that. That gives everyone who has uh, signed up like able, uh, an ability to kind of mix and match different uh, pieces of, of, of the, of the research there. Um, but we also have some great local market streaming level insights in our products where you can find like key differences across genres and markets. Uh, so for example, I'm in Denver, right. And, um, I would, there's, there's a certain vibe. There's a certain type of music that's being played out here, but I just a question for you, what would you expect an emerging genre to be out here in Denver? If you can guess emerging well i mean it's k-pop everywhere so it must be k-pop <laughs> close close it's actually edm right so we're actually seeing a blip in edm uh in denver 
So that's actually to be able to see that that market level um, uh, data is really is really great. Oh, that is super cool. Yeah, very, really useful insights if you're marketing music and maybe thinking about touring again. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. you can definitely find out stuff at, at the local level as well. Awesome. Well, it's been great to have you both on the podcast. Thanks, Paulina. Thanks, Brandon. Uh, really appreciate you guys sharing your insights from MRC Data. You guys will be at Music Tectonics in October, October 25th through 27th. And uh, it'll be so great to have a data partner like you guys in the mix to kind of feed everybody in. Thanks so much. We'll see you then. Absolutely. Thanks for having us. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Who will you meet at Music Tectonics? Our annual conference is known for bringing people together from across the music tech landscape to share ideas and get business done. In 2021, we're bringing together a slate of speakers at the cutting edge of tech for recorded music, live music, and music making. You'll hear from Tracy Chan, head of music at Twitch, the live stream platform built for gamers, now home to many artists who stream live shows to their adoring fans. Mark Mulligan, Managing Director of Media Research and everyone's favorite music tech seismologist. Marisol Siegel, Head of Digital Partnerships at AEG Presents. Will Page, the former Chief Economist at Spotify and author of Tarzan Economics. Dina Lapolt, Top Music Industry Lawyer. David Pelham, Royalties at Concord, and many, many more music tech movers and shakers. Get your ticket to join them at the online conference October 25th through 27th at musictectonics.com. That same ticket gets you access to in-person networking by the sea in the Los Angeles area on November 2nd. Do not miss this. Thanks for listening to Music Tectonics. If you like what you hear, please subscribe on your favorite podcast app. We have new episodes for you every week. Did you know you can dig deeper into all our episodes with the show notes at musictectonics.com. While you're there, look for the latest about our annual conference, sign up for our newsletter to get updates, or get the Music Tectonics app for music tech news. Everything we do explores seismic shifts that shake up music and technology the way the Earth's tectonic plates cause quakes and make mountains. Connect with Music Tectonics on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and find me, Dimitri Vitsa, if you can spell it, on LinkedIn. Bye-bye! You're listening to Music Tectonics.